fellow paranormalists, fringe dwellers, my fellow travelers on the road to and from the strange and unusual, welcome to Paranormal Tower. Come on in, sit down, relax. I have a story to tell you. Those of you who are following us on patreon.com forward slash paranormal are also checking out our Facebook page and vice versa because we've been doing a series of paranormal investigations. So, <clears throat> so we have another one coming up this Thursday. Um, we will be doing a, a live reveal of a new artifact on the Patreon site. As again, like I said, it's patreon.com forward slash paranormal. Um, and we'll be doing a reveal of a new artifact and a small little investigation of that artifact before we do the investigation at the museum itself. We had some really good um, artifacts uh, and really good um, results on the last one. Um, I have been working on developing a series of candles for the museum and for some of the, um, some of the events that, no, not some of the events, but some of the subjects that I've covered in, in, uh, the podcast. Um, and I hope, I hope people like them. Um, it occurred to me when I was trying to think of different products to create that would be exemplary of the experience of the paranormal museum, that scent is the most emotional of our senses. The slightest trace of a familiar scent can distract us and force us to seek memories just to place it. It's not just popcorn, but a warm summer afternoon in the sun on the bleachers with our dad. It's the sound of a long fly ball off a wooden bat and the catch of excitement in your throat as you try to find that stark white rocket against the brilliant cerulean sky. That's the whiff of popcorn that meanders through your brain slipping into half-open doors and shuffling through all files. That's the way scent and smell works. It doesn't just pull us back to a space. It kind of takes us by the hand and walks us back to it. And we get to experience it again. They catch us up. They transport us to another place. And the artifacts in the Paranormal Museum all have an emotional component to them. They're not just harsh artifacts or harsh objects their stories and their experiences that people have and so I've chosen five or six of the most famous artifacts that we have or I think the most emotional artifacts that we have and I have created scents that I think have an emotive and compelling connection with the artifact itself so if you haven't visited it you can at least get a sensory experience of being around the artifact and in addition to that within the candle itself there is a tiny little bottle and in the bottle is a little scroll 
and the scroll tells the story of the artifact. So the idea is as you're burning it and you're smelling the, um, the scent of the candle, you're also revealing the story. And I just want it to be an experience for people. So more than just a candle, more, more than just a product, I want it to be the story and the feeling of the museum so that when you do come to visit us, it feels familiar. And I'm doing a series of uh, candles that are about plague doctors as well. Plague doctors fit in our society today as these figures of um, horror and fear. And I understand why, because they look terrifying. They have these long beaks and um, they're dressed in head to, you know, head to toe in, in heavy canvas or leather. Um, and, but the, the truth is, is that plague doctors were heroic figures. They were people who went through areas of different cities that were besieged by plague and attempted to care for the sick. It was unlikely, and they knew it, that they were going to be successful in saving people. The odds were not in their favor. And each of them were, and there were many, many hundreds probably in each plague cycle. Um, most of them died. Um, and most of them are nameless or unknown. So I've chosen a few of the famous ones, the ones that either survived or were known. And I chose them to be examples of of people uh, versus um, ex ex being the exclusive plague doctor of a given area or time. Plague happened very, very frequently, but there were certain plagues that went through history um, and fundamentally altered the city or the people that it went through. And while plague did go across the globe, most plagues are identified by the years in the city in which they occurred. So a plague could have started in, say, Germany in 1627, but we might know it as the plague of London in 1631 because the plague in London was significantly larger or the number of deaths were larger or um, it just was more famous. Or because Germany had other greater plagues that it identified. Um, so I have a series of four of them. And in those, on the front of the candle, is the plague doctor himself. With the map of the city that he worked in. And the scent of the candle is what he used to treat his patients because they all had different ideas of what would work. Um, and within those candles, again, is a little bottle. And when you open up the bottle, it has the story, a brief story of that plague doctor. And I'll probably expand that to more people, but I chose four um, that I thought were exemplary. And I 
So as I started thinking about these little bottles, which are tiny, by the way, um, and I make all of these myself by hand. So, you know, when you get this and if you decide to collect these, you know that they come from me. Um, my story, I melt the wax, I choose the scent, I mix them all myself. The last batch actually got made at the last full moon. It cooled in the beams of the full moon in our pandemic. Um, but I started thinking about messages in a bottle and how there's that whole, you know, there's something about it where we, um, we all know those stories where you go to the beach and you, 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 the idea, I guess, of a message in a bottle is to, is, is, is to try and create a sense of connection. Um, you throw your message in this bottle into the vast ocean and the ocean somehow delivers it to someone else and suddenly these two almost insignificant little organisms thousands of miles apart from each other are suddenly connected but the thing about the message in the bottle is it's not only the space that separates us it's also the time and so I started looking at different stories of messages in a bottle and, and you know, interesting stories of when they come up because it's exciting to see that and to hear those stories. And I, I, I started to think as I was researching, one case really stuck out at me and it has to do with the Titanic. And I started thinking about fate and destiny and, and these these huge um, events that happen that seem to be these tent poles in history. And there are other events that have had larger losses of life. And there are events that have taken place in the East and, and in the Middle East and in places that weren't Western Europe that were, you know, massive events as well. But for some reason, the sinking of the Titanic just captured something so that its, ma it's, its huge tragedy is universally known, universally understood. But what is it about the Titanic that so enthralls us, so captivates us? Is it the hubris? Is it, is it the pride? Is it the arrogance? Is it the sheer tragedy? Is there something about luxury and affluence and all of those things not protecting you? I don't know. I mean, everybody knows about it. Everybody feels an emotional tug when they hear about it. It was no doubt a huge loss of life, but many other things have had larger losses of life. Is it because there was this strange sense of just imagine yourself being out there in the middle of the great ocean? I don't know. But it also seems like something strange um almost preordained about the titanic there's all of these weird coincidences you know where people had written or had purchased tickets to go on the titanic and then switched at last minute or even even a book called futility was written in 1898 and it was about a ship the largest ship ever built considered unsinkable um called the titan that 
you know, is sailing the North Atlantic in April and hits a light, hits a, an iceberg. And because there's not enough lifeboats, there's an enormous loss of life. I think close to the same amount. It's, you know, these strange coincidences that somebody would write a book so specific with so many specific details 15 years prior to the actual, the actual maiden voyage of the Titanic itself. It just seems strange. But I was thinking about um, these coincidences, but I also was thinking about messages in a bottle. And what is it about the idea of finding a message in a bottle that is so um, intriguing to us? Is it is it this idea of, of connections in time? Or, you know, you throw this bottle into the ocean and... You don't know where it's going to go and the tide takes it someplace and all of a sudden on opposite sides of the world or hundreds of years apart, two almost insignificant organisms suddenly share something and suddenly are connected to each other. And there's, you know, there's something really amazing about that. So I started doing research on famous message in a bottle stories and the one that struck me the most, partly because of where it took place and partly because it was related to the Titanic, was the story of Jeremiah Burke. Jeremiah Burke was turning 19 years of age when he left his home in Cork, County Cork, with his cousin to come to America where they would try to find a, a new life, try to start a new life. And it made me think of my own parents and my grandmother. Um, my grandmother had 16 children, and she had 15 of them leave her. And I often wondered what she felt like on a summer evening as she stood at her door looking across her empty fields in the silence of her house, not knowing where her children were in the world nor what they were doing on that particular day or that particular moment and how many Irish mothers had to do that fathers too but there's something about many and in Ireland it was destined that way part of the story of Jeremiah Burke is that his mother saw him off at Cove when he left to come and start a new life in America. And she gave him a bottle of holy water. She found out that her son had likely died when on the 15th or the 16th of April Someone came by her house and said, I'm sorry for your loss. See, her son was in steerage. He was a third class passenger. They would not have tried to identify his body. And if his body was found, which no one knows if it was, it would have been buried in a common grave. Maybe in Halifax, Nova Scotia, maybe someplace else. 
1,521 passengers and crew died after the ship struck an iceberg on April 14th and sank on April 15th. Jeremiah Burke must have known he was dying or that he would die. Because he took his bottle of holy water and he wrote a note and it says from Titanic goodbye all Burke of Glanmire Cork and he tied it in his shoelaces and he tossed it in the ocean Just the fact that it was found is shocking. But it washed up a year later in County Cork and was found by someone who knew the family. That's really odd guys that's very odd indeed Come You know how it goes until we meet again. Please keep your eyes, your ears, and most importantly, your mind and heart wide open. Please make sure you follow us on social media and you visit our website at www.paranormalbooksnj.com. You can also send any story that you may have to my story at paranormaltower.com. Or you can call and leave us your story at 732-737-9212. Remember, we have that investigation coming up on Thursday. It will be 8 p.m. for Patreon uh, supporters and 9 p.m. for Facebook supporters. So make sure you check that out. Until we speak again, guys, take care of each other. <laughs>